I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There is no better group of ones for power power and forms of the shrubby potentilla producing single rows like flowers continually from June to the first frost. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to exchange some of the latest news, views and a bit of timely advice on all things gardening. Later on, I'll be speaking to Barbara Siegel, distinguished gardening author, former editor of the Herb Society magazine and currently editor of The Horticulturist. But more on that later. Meantime... What a lovely rain, and what a change in weather. Last week when I was in the polytunnel chatting to you, the temperature was close to 100. And today, half that, 50. Good job that I've followed the old saying and not cast a clout till May is out. Boy, we needed that rain. The front grass was brown, it's like August, and the soil was beginning to crack. Now... We can really get on actually walking up uh, the path once again to the polytunnel today. All that lush growth, heavy with rain, I nearly got drowned. I'll need to do a little bit of trimming back. And I think come the weekend, it looks as if we might have uh, a bit of reasonable weather on Saturday. But uh, showers pretty well on all the intervening days. It'll take some rain to get a bit of depth. But what's in the news? Well, things are changing in the gardening world. I mean, allotments, for example, are suddenly repopulated in a way not seen for years. And I hear staff on the Reading Council are allocating vacant plots to those who've been on the waiting list for ages. Why on earth didn't they do that before? Anyhow... It's good to see uh, allotments back in use and with the weather right through April. Pretty good sunny and warm blue skies. It was great for people to get out, do a bit of cultivating and get those allotments back into some kind of shape. Garden centres closed by isolation are turning to telephone ordering uh, and then making deliveries. <laughs> when it comes to the ordering... People will say, uh, I want some bedding. And the uh, garden centre operator will sort of say, well, what do you want? And he said, well, send us a mixture, 20 quid's worth. I mean, there isn't time on the phone to go through the list of what particular cultivars or kinds you want. And even if you did, who knows whether or not they would have them. It was interesting, too, that I heard from one delivery person that... When they arrived, some of the elderly in isolation, the keen gardeners, were in tears to see the kindness of somebody making a delivery for them. And compost is very popular. 
I mean, Bay Tree Garden Centre up in Spalding were apparently down to their last bag, just one bag left. Uh, and then fortunately, a lorry arrived with another delivery. And in other places, the choice isn't much. I think British garden centres uh, in Berkshire couldn't really offer you a range if you wanted miracle Grow hanging basket compost, you're all right. But like the old Ford car, <laughs> it needed to be black. Just the one kind. There was no choice to it. The independent garden centres are really getting quite cross, actually, because while they remain closed... The DIY stores and supermarkets are open and selling plants. I mean, B&Q now have 215 stores open. I don't know whether they're back selling plants or not. I haven't uh, had the nerve or risked joining those lengthy queues, even if our local one is open. A small retail nursery, Mega Plants, in Cambridgeshire, was allowed to open this week, apparently, I can't think how or why, but it was. And apparently when they did open, 300 cars arrived to queue to get into their 30-place car park. I think that was Bedlam. A group of... Uh, oh, I know, more drips of rain I hear on the polytunnel. Come on, keep raining, get deep in. We need every bit that will fall. As I was saying, a group of local governments in uh, England are urging the government to increase funding on tree planting. I can't see there being much money for trees when we get through this black hole for cash. Kernox Nursery, right down in the southwest, who do this carpet bedding schemes called Instabedding, will feature two in Buckingham Palace apparently this coming summer, and the displays will feature the rainbows with NHS Thank you in them. That seems pretty appropriate. If the weather does get a bit reasonable and you've got some time over the weekend, what can we be doing? The one thing I like to do at the tail end of April and early May is to sow the runner beans. Here in Essex, they'll be up by the chance of night frost being uh, pretty remote. Well, actually, before I get them in, I've still got the pods here from uh, last harvest and I need to get them shelled. So perhaps this evening, if it keeps raining, I can sit indoors in the warm and just get those runner beans ready for sowing. You need to uh, get dahlia tubers planted too if they've not been planted already. They need to go in. And again, by the time they come through, there should be a little chance of night frost. If you've stored some really big tubers and you look at them carefully, you should see ways of dividing them. Just check where the eyes, where the shoots are just beginning to come and then you can sometimes split the old dried hollow stem back so that you leave an eye and a tuber. And if you plant that, it'll make a good sturdy plant. Although I heard recently that uh, dahlias from rooted cuttings are a better colour than those grown from tubers. It's not something I'd noticed over the years, but I must uh, give that a try just to check it out. Whatever you're thinking of sowing or planting, especially on heavy soils, then try and catch the weather right. 
if your heavy soul like mine is a bit cloddy, after this rain, if I catch it just as it starts to dry, it'll just knock and crumble down just like a crumble mix. Absolutely perfect. But you need to catch the right time. And once you have knocked it down, it needs to dry a little bit. If you knock it down and it rains straight away after you, I'm afraid it can undo all that good work and run together terribly. Quite a lot of perennials in big pots uh, will need some repotting and I've been working through quite a lot of mine. I'd won a 15, 20 litre pot of Agapanthus, the variety Blue Storm, came to me from um, Anthony Tesla in uh, Australia, his marketing and introduction. I've grown it for several years and it was uh, absolutely full of root. And when I knocked it out just to check whether it was root bound and how wet it was too, I noticed all the roots went absolutely straight down. They didn't go round as plants roots usually do in pots. And when I looked at it, the middle was beginning to fade a little bit and I could see with a spade that it would be easy to absolutely split it in half. And that's what I did do. I could have split it again actually and made four, but I made do with two and then just repotted them so that each has got some nice fresh compost to grow in. There's never a shortage of things to do. Even when it's wet, then I can come into this polytunnel in the comfort and the dry and see loads of jobs to do. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. My interview guest today is Barbara Siegel. Barbara and I have known one another for a, a goodish number of years now. Uh, and we work together on a thing called the uh, Garden Writers Guild, now the Garden Media Guild. Barbara, I think you come from South Africa. I've never heard anything about your early part of your life. <laughs> well, I was born there and grew up there and uh, 
I went to university and I left South Africa in 1970 and came to live in London at that time. But um, all of those previous years, I was very fortunate. I studied botany at school. Ah, that begins to explain things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and before that, I had a, my mother and my grandmother were both very green-fingered women who loved growing things and planting. And I think those genes, you know, were firmly planted. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a very influential time. So I like working with primary school children. Yes. Before they get into their teens and go off to do their things, they absorb an awful lot of information, I feel. That's right. Yeah. But, I mean, the, what was the climate? Been Very gentle, wasn't it? Well, no. Durban, where I grew up, is sort of subtropical, um, very humid, Cold in the winter, but not anywhere near cold as we have here, but very hot, humid summers in Durban and wonderful things like crotons and aloes in the garden. My mother loved growing anthuriums, um, which she could grow outdoors. Oh, goodness, and, it must have been warm, yes. Yeah, yeah, and she used to have a, a shade tent that they were growing in. And another amazing plant that I remember from our garden, it was a climber that climbed about 30 or 40 feet up a tree and it was um common name was cup of gold and i think it's solandra maxima just the most beautiful goblet and you know watching a bud opening i something i never forgot from a childhood yeah my first memory of you was um, a really interesting little book perfect gift <laughs> the holly and the ivy packaged in the, that very neat out a cardboard container. That's right, like a gift. Now, was that your first voyage into uh, authorship? It was. It was my first book. And my lovely husband, Peter, um, who died a few years after that, he, um, he was a great writer and journalist and we packaged the book together so we had a hand in all the design of it as well as uh, the writing. And we lived in a house which was called Holly Cottage and that was where my interest in the plant started. Well, in Holly and then in Ivy and the way they're combined at Christmas. Yeah. And I started to collect china that had the two plants on them that were Christmas things. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Have you still got those? Yes, what? I yes. have. And, of course, I met some wonderful people who were horticultural enthusiasts of the two plants and let me have some wonderful specimens of ivies. And then I also went to um, Norfolk to see Peter Boardman, who was a holly orchardist. Well, he, didn't he have the collection? He had a wonderful collection yeah. of hollies, yes. Yeah. Then through him I met Susan um Susan Andrews from Kew, who is a was a taxonomist and she was a wonderful um holly enthusiast as well. So it sort of it it's interesting, isn't it, when you start and look at a plant and then it takes you down lots of other roads. And people are very generous in our business, aren't they? They certainly yeah. are, Peter. You know, but they like to share 
knowledge and experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm speaking to you, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Your present house, that's called Primrose Cottage. That's right. I've moved to a less prickly abode. (laughs) (laughs) But but it sounds charming. Can you take us on a word journey? Do you have a front garden? I don't have a front garden, but I've got one of those variegated yellow privet hedges. Oh, I like that. I'm all for that. It's always been clipped so beautifully, very formally. And um, in fact, a friend came very kindly and cut it yesterday because it was getting a little bit like um, my hair is at the moment. <laughs> Lockdown, it needed to be... Like all of that. <laughs> <laughs> needed to be trimmed. So that's the front. And then it's... Um, Before we leave that... Um, privet's a wonderful plant for hedging, don't you think? Well, it's like a lot of hedges. If you keep it under control, yeah, it's brilliant because it, this is like a, it's almost like a wall. It's so thick. Yeah. And um, it, you know, never comes into flower because it's cut back so fiercely. But And I like the variegated, the yellow. It's very, it's a nice piece for the house because, in fact, Someone before me had painted the house a sort of primrose yellow, so it's all in keeping. Yeah. My my daughter, in an earlier house, had a big green privet hedge. Um, and I cut that right to the bones. I mean, it was all overgrown and a terrible mess. Mm. And in two years, it was just fantastic again. That's so right. Good it, nature. It's very forgiving. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's in the front garden, I suppose, is it's not really a garden. It's hard standing on the side of the house. And I suspect it was bird sown, but there is a very beautiful dripping laburnum, which is just coming into its own at the moment. Oh, right. And so that shields me a little bit from the road and there's ivy growing against the wall there. And, of course, ivy is wonderful at this time of the year for the holly blue butterfly because it goes between the holly and the ivy. I didn't realise that. I mean, I see holly blues here because I've got hollies. I I hadn't realised. No, they they really, you know, the two plants, I think, just give them their main food. Oh, right. So Because, you know, I have a lot of holly on the against the garage and ivy over the garage. Yeah, well, they're in clover. (laughs) Yeah. And it's such a pretty butterfly. It is. It really makes your heart sing when you see it. Yeah. And then at the back garden, what have we got there? Well, if you, there's a side passage which is very useful because I can get bags of compost and stuff down there without coming through the house. And again, before me, someone planted a white double lilac. So that's looking splendid at the moment. So if you come through that side passage, you get into the garden or you come out of the back door of the house. And in both cases, behind the house is the whole garden and it's 80 foot by 44 foot wide. Boy, that's enough to keep you going. It keeps me busy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The first sort of feature that you see is a kind of false lead summer house, a sit-uteri. It's not really a summer house. It's just a bench where you can sit out. And I really think it was that that sold the house to me, this (laughs) rather lovely 
creation. And for a while I thought it was lead and then I discovered it was plastic. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but never yeah. mind, it's a good disguise and I love it. I have a seat outside the back door and sunny mornings earlier this week, uh, yes, sitting out there having a cup of tea at uh, upper state at nine o'clock in the morning's a joy. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Barbara, what about herbs? Because uh, you were author for a bit, weren't you, for the Herb Society? Yes, I edited the Herb Society's magazine on two occasions, 10 years, about 15 years ago, and then Goodness. 10 years more recently. It's a great society to belong to, and I love writing about herbs and reading what other people say about them. And I think three of my books were on herbs, and so I've always grown them in the garden and the garden is stuffed with them at the moment. They're all, you know, I cut something every day to use in the kitchen. And, and you were speaking earlier about having tomatoes delivered from the Isle of Wight <laughs> in bulk. Yes. Presumably the herbs are quite useful to uh, get that quantity of tomatoes through <laughs> Through the kitchen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no, it, it's been a joy having these tomatoes from the Isle of Wight. And they, um, you know, they're all small and really, so what I do with them when they arrive is I slice the cherry and the little plum tomatoes in half and lay them down in, uh, you know, on a baking tray and sort of put basil and thyme and winter savoury, all those sort of pungent herbs lay the leaves around and also some dried marjoram and then bake, put them in the oven for about five, ten minutes. And once they've cooled, um, they either go in the freezer or they go into um, into pot, you know, little jars in the fridge. And then I use them through the week in salads. But I've just recently, a friend has given me a lovely recipe for making tomato soup. So that's going to be the next project. <laughs> <laughs> And then currently you're editor of a magazine called The Horticulturist. I am, and I think I've edited it for an awful long time. The man who was editor before me was called Desmond Day. Oh, now there's a lovely name from the past. I thought you oh, would remember Des, Des. yes. Morris Dancer, Des, and, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, he was a great person for charity and he... he Rehomed donkeys. He had a field oh, full of donkeys. <laughs> yeah, he was lovely, and um, he was editor of the Grower. Yes, at one time, and then, but he then, and he also became a president of the what was then the Institute of Horticulture, and now it's the Chartered Institute of Horticulture. And he was a president and edited the magazine, and. I was asked if I'd like to edit the news part of it. So I did that under his guidance. And then when he decided to retire, he asked if I'd like to take on the whole magazine, which I did with alacrity because it's um, great to be in touch with so many wonderful people in horticulture. Well, and it's a prestige job, isn't it? Very respected journal. And it has. Well, I hope so. I've, I love working yeah. on it. And, uh, you know, we get such varied articles because it now comes out three times a year. It once was quarterly, but now it's three times a year. There's There are some good long reads in it. Yes. I remember one on soft fruit that was very useful. 
Oh, I'm glad to know that. Yes, it is nice occasionally to get just a bit more depth. Uh, We live in an age where people skip over things so fast. Yeah, they do, don't they? I think I'm guilty of that myself. (laughs) I quite like having sound bites. But then, uh, to bring us more up to date, you, you worked recently on a book about gardens in East Anglia. I did. It was called Secret Gardens of East Anglia. And, of course, secret is a very um, emotive word because they were not all completely secret. Some of them were very well known. But And it worried me, the title, but... Um, in the end, I got over it because I thought that a garden is secret until you actually visit it. Very much so, yes. So that was that was fine. And I had a photographer called Marcus Harper who lived about five or ten minutes away. And uh, we collected so many lovely gardens and enjoyed getting the garden story, really, in words and pictures. He was a great photographer. Boy, I miss him, yes. Yes. His dad must miss him even more. Yeah. I think he does, yeah. yes. Yes. So that was, uh, that was in, uh, it was published in 2017. Oh, and who's, who's the publisher? The publisher is Francis Lincoln. Yeah, and because that's a lovely book, isn't it? It is, and it's, it is still doing very well, which is lovely. Yeah. You know, I, I hope people will keep on discovering the secret places in East Anglia because it is pretty much a a secret part of the world. Yes, and there there are some lovely gardens. I can't wait for these restrictions to lift so that we can be free to move again. Exactly. Barbara, it's a great pleasure to have joined you today. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. I look forward to joining you at Hyde Hall as soon as they open the gates. We'll we'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Barbara. My end piece, a quotation from Lou Erickson. Gardening requires a lot of water, most of it in the form of perspiration. (laughs) Well, this week we've had quite a lot of water. But don't be fooled into thinking that plants in pots with a lot of foliage will be really soaked. Chances are the foliage has shed the moisture and you'll need to give those a really good watering. Our thanks this week to Sutton Seeds of Torquay. And of course, to my producer, Rich Jarman. And you for listening. Look forward to being back with you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.